You're listening to The Archive, a collection of sermons and teachings from Pastor Mike and his peers from days past. Stick around for timeless truths that still speak to the issues of our days. Doris Nail, it's good to see you tonight. Doris was one of those who went on the mission to Creel. There were about 30 people in all who went. Some came and went, like Sally and I and Pete Warren. We came on Thursday and went on Friday, and we sort of had a good trip at that. It was really a blessing to be a part of that, and I know it was a blessing to you, Doris, to be a part of that and the others who participated. We need to thank God for that, too, in our prayers, and pray that God will help everybody to recover. Please take your Bible and turn to the book of Amos. That is in the Bible, Amos. I don't know how long it's been since you've heard a message on Amos. It's been a long time since I've preached a message from the book of Amos. And actually, we're going to take one verse from the fifth chapter of the book of Amos and use it as a launching pad to a more careful consideration of Second Chronicles chapter 26. But this is a good place for us to begin. And the Lord's really been ministering to me. I'm glad I'm here tonight, and I'm glad I have the assignment of teaching God's Word tonight. Otherwise, I would not have been enriched today as I was reflecting on what the Lord would have me to share with you. And I hope you will be partially as enriched as I have been enriched today in my preparation. Amos chapter 5, verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me that you may live. In 1 Chronicles 16, 11, the word of God from God himself says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. This command to us from the prophet Amos, from God, is a command to seek the Lord and we will live. It's incumbent upon us. In other words, it's our responsibility to seek the Lord. That is a command from God's word, which raises a very important question. Is it up to us to find him? Is our finding God strictly based upon the effort which we put forth in finding him? Well, not quite. Because this verse of scripture itself that we read from Amos chapter 5 verse 4 is a command that God initiated. He's the one that stimulates us toward him in seeking him. If we have any interest in seeking God, God's the one who put that interest in our hearts. And that's important to understand. Our job is to obey this command. Now, what's interesting to note, twice, once in 1 Chronicles 28, 9, when Solomon was ascending to the throne his father David was abdicating the throne and placing his son Solomon upon the throne and he told him to seek the Lord he told him to get to know God and then this is what he said it's very interesting it's repeated again in 2nd Chronicles 15 2 when the word of the Lord came through the prophet to King Asa the same words are repeated if you seek him he will let you find him if you seek him He will let you find him. Now, some of you have children, and you will remember when your children were small that you perhaps engaged in games of hide-and-seek with them. Now, if you were a typical parent, you let your child find you, right? Of course you did. Now, when they got older, you made it a little more complicated for them, and I'm not sure that the analogy continues in this regard, but at least when your children were small and you played hide-and-seek with them, you let them find you, did you not? And God certainly does not play hide-and-seek with us, but no one finds God apart from his self-revelation. 
God has to reveal himself to us. But in the very fact that he commands us to seek him, we are sure that we will find him if we seek him. In Jeremiah chapter 29, the Bible says, you will seek me and find me if you search for me with all your heart. The key to our finding the Lord is to search for him with all our heart. Now back to Amos chapter 5 verse 4. Seek me and you will live. The command seek me suggests that we cannot have a casual approach to seeking God. And this is why Christianity is so anemic in America today. It's because we have watered it down and watered it down and watered it down because we do not make seeking God the primary focus of our lives. The form of the verb in this particular command found in Amos chapter 5 verse 4 would cause us to better translate this command, really seek me. It's an intensive stem in the Hebrew language which suggests we really have to do it with great intensity. This idea of seeking God casually just when it's convenient doesn't cut it with God. We will never find God individually or collectively as the people of God if we have a casual approach to seeking God. There has to be a fervency associated with our seeking God. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, James chapter 5 says, and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, I believe is the way the uh, authorized version of the Bible says that. I like what Charles Spurgeon said about this. He said, praying without fervency is like hunting without a dog. Have you ever tried to hunt without a dog? It's a lot more productive to hunt with a dog. And it's much more productive on the spiritual level if we seek the Lord intensely. If we narrow our focus, would it be safe to say that your heart is undivided in its quest for God? Think about that for just a moment. The explanation, I believe, for the fragmentation of our culture is found in our lack of focus on God. If we individually, or we as a body of believers, or we as a nation were to focus again on God, we would be people who would truly find Him. Seek me, really seek me, God says, and you will live. The word which is translated live is a word which means live prosperously. It's not a sort of living that we will experience. We will live prosperously, which is reminiscent of the words of Jesus found in John 10.10, when Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And of course, he was referring to the devil. But I have come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. The kind of life that Jesus Christ offers to those who seek God with a whole heart is an abundant life. It's a life that's full to the max. And most people, as I'm fond of saying, really aren't living, they're just existing. The whole idea of eternal life is that God offers us a quality of life that is superior to any kind of life we will ever find apart from seeking Him. Now, having given that as introduction, let's turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. It's over toward the front of your Bible if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Old Testament especially. And we're going to look at a man, and actually when we begin to consider this man's life, he was a teenager. He was 16 years old. We have a young man here tonight who's probably about 16 years old. I'm not sure how old you are, Matt, but that's about right. And uh, this young man's name is Uzziah. 
The name Uzziah literally translated means the Lord is strength or the Lord is my strength. And bear that in mind as we go through this passage of Scripture. Now the background is Uzziah is ascending the throne at the age of 16. His father Amaziah is still alive, although he's in exile. He's a prisoner in the nation of Israel. He spends 10 years in prison. For the first 10 years of Uzziah's reign, he reigned alone from the age of 16 to 26. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to all of a sudden be thrust into the position of the leader of a nation at the age of 16? I cannot imagine it. When I was thrust into the responsibility of pastoring a church of 55 people at the age of 27, it nearly scared me to death. It was a frightening thing to know that I had the responsibility to lead 55 people. Now understand Judah had no telling how many people, a half a million at least, maybe to a million people at this time. And here was the 16-year-old who ascended to the throne. Now there is a great benefit, I might add, to being in a position like Uzziah was. Being a person of inexperience, being a person who might have been scared, although we do not know that for a fact, but I think it would be safe to conclude that he had a certain degree of fear associated with it. Because in my experience, those times when I've been placed in situations that were obviously far beyond my ability, it threw me back on God every time. And that's one of the neat things about difficulty in your life, quite honestly. Prosperity can be a deadly thing, and we're going to see that in the life of Uzziah. He became prosperous but prosperity was hard to handle. Why is it that we don't handle prosperity very well? You think about your own life. The times that you have been closest to God probably were the times that you were in a tight place in your life. And then the pressure was let off, and you just sort of heaved a sigh of relief, and it was a great time, wasn't it, to heave that sigh of relief to know that, that things were mellowing out in your life. But the tendency we all have, without exception, is when the pressure is off, then we quit trusting in God like we normally do in times of difficulty. Well, let's begin here in verse 1 and read about this young man. Verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 26. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the place of his father, Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Now, what's interesting here is I mentioned that his father, Amaziah, was in prison in neighboring Israel for 10 years. He was released. He came back to Judah, and for the next 14 years, evidently he and Uzziah were co-regents. They had a co-monarchy, and they ruled. And after his father Amaziah died, he built Eloth. He recaptured it and built it. Now, Eloth is modern-day Eilat. If you know anything about the geography of the Holy Land, you know the Sinai Peninsula. And at the tip of the peninsula was this city Eloth. It was established by Solomon, the son of King David, as a seaport. If you know anything about David and you know anything about Solomon, Israel was at the apex of its power and prestige in the world at that particular time. It was from that seaport city, and the Hebrews were not known for their seafaring, by the way, but they adapted the Canaanite ways and decided to trade. And under Solomon, that's where all this trade took place with Africa, and they had great influence commercially worldwide. But after Solomon passed off the scene, the Edomites came in and they captured this city. And it was when Jehoshaphat, the great-great-grandfather, who is an important figure, we'll refer to him 
more than one time in the evening. He was the great-great-great-grandfather of Uzziah. He reestablished the power or control that Judah had over Elot, which is now modern-day Eilat. And after he passed out of the scene, it was lost to the control of the Edomites again. And then finally, we see Uzziah restoring that particular situation. Now look at verse 3. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. That's a long time to reign, 52 years. If I'm not mistaken, he had the longest reign of any king in Judah. And his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Now here's a key verse. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Let's go back to the original verse we looked at in Amos. Seek me and you will live. Really seek me and you will live prosperously. And another possible translation of the word live in Amos 5.4, really seek me and you will live forever. Now, bear that in mind as we look at the life of this man, Uzziah. Now, what contributed to his success as the leader of the people? Well, one thing which contributed to his success was that he held to the traditions of his families, of his family, rather. Now, his family dated all the way back to King David. And David was a man of God, even though he had his faults. Solomon was a man of God, and he certainly had his faults. And then, as you go through the history of the kings of Judah, you see good kings and bad kings. You see hypocrisy, but you do see some purity in terms of relationship to God. Amaziah, we are told in the previous chapter, chapter 25, it says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a whole heart. And there was a flaw there. One would possibly figure, based upon what the writer of Second Chronicles says here, that maybe Uzziah followed the same pattern. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that he was one who held to the traditions of his family. Now, if you think back in your life, some of you were benefited by the fact that you had godly heritage. Either your parents were godly or their parents were godly, but somewhere back down the line there was godliness in your family. And there's something to be said, as much tradition bashing as goes on these days in churches, and I've done my part of it probably, there is something to be said for a rich spiritual heritage and the influence that it exercises on future generations. Sometimes it skips generations. Have you ever noticed that? It's sometimes the children of a godly family will not be godly, but through the influence of godly grandparents, the grandchildren become godly. Now, I don't understand all that, but what I do know is that one of the things that contributed to the success of Uzziah, and one of the things that caused him to seek the Lord was he had a tradition in his family of fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers who sought the Lord. Never underestimate your influence upon your children and your children's children and your children's children's children on into the future. Now, another thing that contributed was the consecration of his own heart because this passage of Scripture says, basically, he sought the Lord, and, and a good interpretation of this would be the, the Hebrew would suggest he himself sought the Lord. So he set his own heart apart. His father Amaziah could have been the most ardent seeker after God who'd ever lived, 
but he still had to establish that pattern in his own life. And we see that, don't we, as parents? My children, and I don't mean to be negative toward my children, I love them, but at this point in their lives, they're not seeking God to the extent that I believe I'm seeking God. And I may be fooled because the heart is deceitful above all else. I may be fooled about me is what I'm talking about. But I'm hoping in the future, because the influence that God may exercise in my children's lives, that they will want to seek him from themselves. And they will want to follow him. And I know that's the wish that every parent here has. For your children, if you have grandchildren, for your grandchildren. He consecrated his own heart. In Jeremiah 29, I've already mentioned it, but I want to repeat it now. If you seek me, God says, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. Uzziah evidently started out strong in his pursuit of God. He sought God with a whole heart. Now here's another thing that contributed to his success on the outset and really contributed to his seeking after the Lord. It was the influence of his friend. Now there's not much said about Zechariah by a modest account. There are probably about 30 Zechariahs referred to in the Old Testament. And this particular Zechariah, we don't know if he was a prophet. We don't know if he was a priest. It would be safe to say, though, that he had influence upon this young king, Uzziah. He was like a mentor to this young king, Uzziah. And Uzziah, first of all, was humble enough to get input from somebody that he perceived was wiser than he. And that's important for all of us. We all need someone in our lives who can encourage us spiritually and give us input, who knows us well enough to assess who we are and assess our situation, someone whom we give permission to who can mentor us or disciple us spiritually. I love what Howard Hendricks, the professor emeritus at Dallas Theological Seminary, says about relationships, and he loves to say this to men's groups, and I think it would apply to women's groups as well. He says this, every Christian should have someone who is before him or her, leading the way, setting the pace. Every Christian needs someone who is beside him or her, a brother with whom he or she can walk, or a sister with whom she can walk through the Christian life, through this world. And every believer needs someone behind him or her to mentor and bring along. Now let me ask you, do you have those kinds of relationships in your life? Someone who's before you, someone who's more mature than you are spiritually, who's mentoring you, discipling you. A brother or sister who's beside you, remembering what the Word of God says in the book of Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need that kind of sharpening. And then someone behind us, someone that we're seeking to bring along spiritually. Do you have those kind of relationships in your life? Uzziah had someone who was before him at least. At this particular time in history, when Uzziah was on the throne, there was a great prophet from his nation, from the village of Tekoa. His name was Amos. God had called this fig picker Amos. He was not a prophet, nor was he the son of a prophet, according to what the Word of God says. But he had called, God had called him to Israel, and he was pronouncing judgment on Israel. It would have been very logical for a leader, and this is a tendency, and I'm... I'm sort of giving you a little insight if you haven't already gotten it about preachers. The tendency is for spiritual leaders to not confide in people in their own church about things in their church, not to get advice or counsel from people in their own church, but they go outside. It would certainly have been logical for him and probably more 
self-protecting of him to go get advice from Amos, who was obviously a man of God, because he was way up there, and nobody in Judah would have known about it. But he didn't do that. To his credit, he had a friend named Zacharias, and what we, what we see here about Zechariah is he had understanding, and some versions say, through the fear of God or the vision of God. This was a man who feared God. When you're looking for someone to advise you, find someone who fears God, and you'll be on safe ground in your life. You'll be one who will be encouraged to seek the Lord, and as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Now, God prospered him in many ways. We're going to read now. He prospered him politically. You know the word politics comes from the Greek word polis, and polis means city. And he was one who expanded his control of cities. He established new cities. He reestablished his control over other cities. He was one who prospered militarily. We're going to see that in just a moment. He was a man who was on the cutting edge of military technology. We're going to see that he all had engines of war, probably catapults. He was way ahead of his time as far as his military interests were concerned. He also was a man who led his country and he himself to prosper agriculturally, thus economically. Let's read beginning with verse 6 and see how this was true in his life. Now he went out and warred against the Philistines and broke down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod and he built cities in the area of Ashdod and among the Philistines. Now the Philistines have been a thorn in the side of Israel and Judah from the word go it seems. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and the Munites. Now notice God was helping him. As long as he was seeking the Lord, what was God doing? He was helping him. Verse 8, the Ammonites also gave tribute to Uzziah, and his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Now his name, I mentioned, means the Lord is my strength, but it could also simply be stated, and maybe in a very wooden way, translated this way, strong in the Lord. That's what it could be translated. Strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord. In essence, is what is being said about this individual. Verse 9, Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and hewed many cisterns, for he had much livestock, both in the lowland and in the plain. He also had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country and the fertile fields, for he loved the soil. He loved the soil. He was a man who was prosperous, wasn't he? Prosperous politically, prosperous militarily, as we're going to see, prosperous economically. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle which entered combat by divisions. Well-organized army, according to the number of their muster, prepared by Jeel, the scribe, and Messiah, the official under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. The total number of the heads of the households of valiant warriors was 2,600. And under their direction was an elite army. And the word elite in the New American Standard Version literally means powerful army of 307,500. That's a big war machine, isn't it? Who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and sling stones. And in Jerusalem he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great stones. Now let me stop here just a moment before we read any further. 
Was he the one who was doing all this? Was he just some kind of superman who was out here tilling the soil and building all these machines and building these cities and capturing this? It says he was the one who was doing it, but how was he doing it? He was doing it through other people, wasn't he? He had wisdom in the selection of the people that served under him too. And this is also a mark of good leadership. One of the people who's a member of our church is a very successful businessman, and I was asking him in the presence of my son because I wanted my son to learn from this man's wisdom. He's been very successful, and I believe the reason he's been successful. When I asked him, what is the key to your success? Without hesitation, he said, the Lord is the key to my success. He sought, as long as he sought the Lord, what does this say about Uzziah? As long as he sought the Lord, what? He, God, prospered him. And when I asked this man, I said, yeah, that's understood, because I know that's typical of your life, and I appreciate your saying that. But beneath that, what is the thing that makes you so successful, prosperous? And he said this. He said, I know how to pick the men who work for me. I know how to pick the people who work for me. God has been good to gift me to know when to pick somebody and when not to pick someone to serve with me. And he also, and this is just an aside, he went on to say, he's a multimillionaire, and he went on to say this, he said, I've never been motivated by money. He said, if I were wiped out, I've been wiped out before, if I were wiped out tomorrow, it wouldn't bother me because that's not my motivation. That's interesting too, isn't it? To think about that, I can't imagine that. Myself, I was having lunch with a guy today, he used to be a member of our church, and he was in town and he took us to lunch today. And he was saying, in ca just in passing, he said, you know, I, I asked him if he was day trading because I know that he does that. He does his own trading. He said, you know, I lost a million dollars in March. And he acted like it was like I'd lose $10. You know, I thought, great day in the morning. The Lord has prospered that man, too, as he sought the Lord, which is kind of encouraging, to say the least. Now, let me ask you this question. What is there about seeking the Lord that ensures prosperity. We know if we seek the Lord, God prospers us, but why does God show favor to people who seek him? I thought about that today, and I think I know part of the answer to that. I don't pretend to know the whole answer to that question, but I think I know what part of the answer to that question is. Is because when you're seeking the Lord, you don't have time to seek anything else because it's a full-time occupation. And by that I mean when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, seek God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Isn't that basically what the word of God says here in Second Chronicles 26? As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. And when I'm seeking the Lord, God is going to take care of the incidentals of my life. As long as I'm putting God first in my life, this is what God is going to do. We get also get a vision of God which helps to put ourselves in proper perspective. Now you remember, in the year that King Uzziah died, there was a prophet by the name of Isaiah who went up to the temple of God. And as he was going to the temple of the Lord, he had a vision of God. And when he had a vision of God, what was the result of his having the vision of God in terms of his own life? Do you remember what he said about himself? He said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, you may or may not know that the first five chapters of the prophet Isaiah are scathing denouncements of surrounding nations. 
Harsh words, harsh words. And I'm sure with the delivery of each one of those messages, there was the tendency in the heart of Isaiah to be lifted up a little higher and a little higher and a little higher to feel better than those to whom he was delivering the word of denunciation from the Lord to those nations. But when he saw God, he really saw himself. Remember when Job finally heard from God after Job had been getting input from his friends and then he said God, he basically took God on, which was a very audacious thing, a very scary thing to do. And then God spoke to him and in speaking to him, he revealed himself to Job. Do you remember what Job said? He says, until now my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That was the turning point in Job's life when he saw the Lord. Now, we probably will never see the Lord in the sense that maybe Isaiah had a vision of the Lord at the temple or Job, and hopefully we won't have to go through the kind of problems that Job went through in order to really see God. But if it takes that, let me ask you, if it took for you and me to go through the kind of problems Job did to really have an intimate relationship with God, would it be worth it? Would it? By all means, it would be worth it. Because when we find God, we have everything. When we know the Lord, we know everything we need for anything else in our lives. So we need to understand that we get a vision of God which leads to a proper perspective on ourselves when we look to see the Lord. Now look at the last part of verse 15. It's a rather sad statement. Hence his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped when he was strong. That seems contradictory. Seems like it would be an asset to be marvelously helped when you're strong. But look at verse 16. When he became strong, and notice this progression, he became strong. His heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. And he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now let's think about the sin in his life. It was not the sin of his youth. When he was a youth, he sought the Lord, didn't he? And we tend to give young people a bad rap. We're knocking young people a lot in our day. And the older we get, the more tendency we have to knock young people. But remember, Uzziah sought the Lord when he was 16. He was a young man when he began to seek the Lord. He sought him for a long time. This particular episode took place probably about 750 B.C. by the best calculations. And at that time, he was about 57 years old. He was in midlife, maybe late midlife. He had risen to a place of power and a place of authority and influence. It's a dangerous place to find oneself. It's not always a blessing to have authority and power and influence because there's the ever-present temptation at that point to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think of yourself. And for me to do the same thing in our lives. It was also not a sin of what we would call wickedness. Where was this sin committed? Was it committed in a brothel somewhere, in a tavern somewhere? What was it prevented? Where was it committed? It was in, in, it was in your heart, really. It was in the heart. It was a sin of the heart. It was a pride issue. But it was in the holy place, wasn't it? It was in the temple. 
And what he was doing in itself was not necessarily evil. He was offering incense to the Lord. But what he was doing, he was doing something God had not called him to do. Was he a priest? No. The priest had the responsibility of representing man to God. The king had the responsibility of representing the rulership of God to man. He had overstepped his bounds. He did not know his place. He made a fatal error, which many of us are in jeopardy of making within the church, particularly those of us in leadership. We have a responsibility, and it's an important responsibility as leaders in the church, like Joseph and I have, and Carolyn, and different ones who have responsibilities in the church. But what we have to be careful to realize is there are other people whom God has set in place in the church who have equally important roles, even though they might be less high profile than our roles are. And we need to be careful to stay within the context of the leadership that God has given us and the responsibilities God has called us to. Well, let's read a little further here, and we're about to wind this time together up tonight. Then, verse 17, Then Azariah, the priest, entered after him, and with him eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. Now, this Azariah is somewhat of a hero here. He is a strong man. He's a priest, but he has the heart of a prophet because he's not going to let this popular king, this powerful king, Uzziah, get away with sin. So he takes uh, these valiant priests with him to confront the king. And look at 18. And they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary. For you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. That's strong, isn't it? Whoa. I mean, these guys were laying their lives on the line for the Lord. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. Now, this is typical of people who have too much power. Cross a person who has too much control and too much power, and the initial response, it's a knee-jerk reaction, is to be angry and lash out. Now, what that says to us in leadership and us in general is be careful. If you are edgy, if you react in anger quickly, it's probably a sign that your pride is showing. It's things aren't going your way. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there. And he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. He knew that God had touched him in judgment. He had enough sense and he had enough understanding of God to know that the leprosy was a judgment upon his life. And look at verse 21 and tw through 23. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. That's sad, isn't it? And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, has written... So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave which belonged to the kings. Not in the, this is interesting, not in the tombs for the kings, but in the field adjacent to the tombs. Why couldn't he be buried where the kings were buried? It was because he was a leper. He, he lived with that, and even in his death he was dishonored as a result of that. For they said he is a leper, and Jotham his son became king in his place. 
one wonders, I mean, I've wondered a bit, if after he was struck with leprosy, if he didn't begin to seek the Lord again. I would hope to think he did. He had had a history of seeking the Lord. But he lived with the consequences of his own rebellion against God. And we all live with the consequences of our sin against the Lord. The Lord forgives us when we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One would hope that that happened in his life. But we, in wrapping up what I'm sharing with you this evening, listen to what Napoleon said. Napoleon said this. He said, I am not an ordinary man, and the laws of morals and of custom were never made for me. Boy, did he ever live to eat those words. And anybody who has that attitude will live to eat those words. What the Lord says is that he gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. Now, I mentioned Jehoshaphat, who was the great, great, great grandfather of Uzziah. And he was a man who had a certain weakness in his life. His weakness was an inability to say no. If you study his life, he had a hard time saying no to people. It got him in trouble. But when crunch time came in his life, when the time came for a showdown spiritually, he yielded his weakness to the Lord, and his weakness became his strength. Whereas his weakness had been blameworthy until that point, his weakness was his salvation later. He couldn't say no to other people. But this great, great, great grandson of his, Uzziah, was a man whose strength was praiseworthy, but his strength was his downfall. Now, listen carefully. He didn't learn to say no to himself. The biggest challenge that you and I have in this life is to learn to say no to ourselves in order that we may say yes to God. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in his call discipleship where he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Say no to yourself in order that you might be able to say yes to Jesus and yes to God. Turn to 2 Corinthians and we're going to read a, a section of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and we'll be through. And I was impressed... As I listened to Doris actually share her devotional at the mission that they were on last week about how important it is that we rely on the Lord and trust the Lord for everything in our lives. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Our strength is in the Lord, isn't it? Notice what the word of God says. As long as he sought the Lord, he, God prospered him. The moment he quit seeking the Lord, and there's never a time in our lives that we will ever be out of the woods as far as our need for seeking the Lord. Never. The moment we think we've outgrown seeking the Lord is the moment of our downfall. Remember that. But listen to the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 2. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body I do not know, God knows such a man was caught up to the third heaven. And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. 
On behalf of such a man will I boast, but my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. For I do wish to boast, for if I do wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth, but I refrain from this so that no one may credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, probably the thorn in the flesh, and this is my interpretation, the thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, were those scales that fell from the eyes that we read about today in Paul's conversion. He had an eye ailment probably the rest of his life, and he asked the Lord three times to heal him, and the Lord didn't heal him. If, if something like that happened in your life, is there something physical or relational or emotional in your life that you've asked the Lord to remove? And for some reason he said no. May I tell you what the reason probably is? We're going to see it here. Notice what the Lord says to Paul in verse 9. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. So understand that the Lord uses weakness in our lives, and we shouldn't go around trying to be weak and wimpy. I'm not talking about that. But when you encounter situations in your life which cause you to sense your weakness, it's a blessing from the Lord because it thrusts you and it thrusts me back upon the strength of the Lord. And the strength of the Lord is the thing that we have to rest in in our lives, isn't it? First Chronicles 16, 11, I'll say it again. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face. How often? continually. It's to be a full-time occupation in our lives. And when we do that, we will be prospered by the Lord. The Lord will see that our needs are met and that others' needs are met through us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. And we know that if it were not for the grace of God, we'd be in the same situation that Uzziah was in. Lord, we pray that you would impress upon us the need to seek you continually. To seek your face, Lord, not just your hand. To seek intimacy with you and not help from you all the time. Just to put you at the very center of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good night.